those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the faith, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. Verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, <clears throat> excuse me, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of the sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this church, this service, your people, God. Lord, I pray that through your word and through the teaching this morning, you just change our hearts, come into our lives, grow us closer to you, Lord. That's our prayer. We give this time to you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, it's good to see you today, Doxa. If you're new or visiting, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, man, it's, it's great to have you here, part of our, our family gathering. But today, we're, we're continuing our series through Romans chapters 5 through 8, and this idea that we're looking at is, is gospel doctrine, all right? And as we get going, okay, I want to just kind of remind us of, of the goal, all right? It's because we actually do have a goal as we spend time in, in these chapters of Romans as a church, and it's this, guys. It's just simple. It's that, that we would become gospel people, all right? That's our hope. All right, that as we go through these, these chapters in Romans, that we would all get better acquainted with Jesus, that we would grow in love and appreciation and affection for Jesus, that we would begin to live in the likeness of Jesus, and that we would become fluent in Jesus' gospel, which is good news for all people, and really wrestle with the idea, guys, that we don't just want to be like a, a holy cesspool of people that we come here on, that's weird, I know, it's, but you know, we just don't want to be this place that we just kind of sit here. And, and we receive information, and then it doesn't impact our lives at all. But our goal is to figure out, man, what does it mean to, to love and live like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, seeking to bring glory to God and good to our city that we live in? Because I want you to hear this, guys, okay? To be a Christian, Paul is going to say this in, later on in, in Romans chapter 8, is, is in verse 29, he talks about this idea of being conformed to the image of Jesus, Right, the, the Apostle John puts it this way in, in 1 John 2.6. He says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. All right, that, that really, guys, the, we have been given life. You have been given life, ultimately, to know, to love, to follow, and to live like Jesus. This is the goal of the Christian life, to live like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. But there's a problem with this, right? And if you've been around this, if you've read your Bible, you, you know that Paul, throughout Romans, he's, he's shared it extensively with us, that the, the problem is this pervasiveness of sin that is in our world and, and really just throughout our lives, and it hinders that goal of becoming more and more like Jesus. 
And when we talk about this idea of sin, guys, what we're talking about is we're talking about the, the power and the impulse in all of our lives to reject God and to reject obeying and loving him. And guys, I, I'll tell you this because it's the, it's the biggest problem that we all have in our lives, that we all have as people, right? We, we walk through the same life, the same winds blow on every single one of us. We all have issues that we deal with, different varying degrees, but the biggest problem that every single one of us has is this idea of indwelling sin. And last week in Romans 7, all right, the Apostle Paul showed us that Christians, all right, although forgiven of sin, we still struggle with remaining in indwelling sin as we live. All right, the Apostle Paul, I, I love in Romans 7 that the Apostle Paul, he's honest enough to share with us that, that him, even as a godly man, as an apostle, this was his personal experience. In Romans 7, 15, if you look back, he says, I don't do what I want to do, but the things that I hate, I do. This was his experience. And it's important to know, guys, that even the most Christian among us that will struggle with sin, every one of us, and, and I'll say this, because maybe you're sitting here, you're thinking, man, I don't know if that's really true of me. You know, I, I'm living life pretty good right now. I don't know if I have any sin struggles. And, and if that's you, here, here's what I'm, I'm going to invite you during the last couple songs, we've, we've designated a space in the back, that during the last couple songs, you can walk back there and just hit your head off the wall a few times, okay, and, until you wake up, Okay. That was supposed to be a joke, <laughs> loosen up, right? Because guys, we, we need to wake up that we, we all have this issue that we're all broken to some extent. There's one perfect person and his name is Jesus. The rest of us, we got issues that we're working through and we're just honest enough to, to say that. It's a common ground that we all have. And at the end of chapter seven, I loved it, guys. Chapter seven is this kind of like depressing chapter in the Bible that he, God is honest enough to show us that we will struggle with sin in our lives. But I love that, that Paul, he reminds us that during this lifetime, we're going to have this constant tension in our lives to follow God and to, to be in sin, all right? And to, it's going to be a struggle to live like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. And, and I don't need to convince some of you that. Some of you, you've had Romans 7's week this week, right? That you, you tried. You set out in the, at the front end of your week, and you wanted to honor God. You wanted to live for God, and you wanted to bring glory to him by, by the way that you live. But as, as you got into your weeks, it just didn't happen. You didn't do the things that you wanted to do, right? Instead, you started doing the things that, that you didn't want to do, and you found yourself in opposition to who God is and what God says, and it brings about like shame and guilt. Some of you, you question your salvation. You're wondering, do I even love Jesus? Because how can I live like this if I do? This is a struggle that we have. And so the natural question that arises, guys, is this. If this reality is actually true, which we all feel, here's the question. Are we just to spend our entire lives defeated by sin? This is what we're asking. And guys, here's what you need to know. The answer is a resounding no. That while the struggle with sin that we see in Romans 7 is real and is true of every single one of us. Romans 8 is also true of every Christian. That if you are in Christ through faith, guys, there's victory over sin. All right, there's freedom from sin. And this is what Romans 8 is all about. It's a chapter of victory and liberation. And in Paul, Paul is going to write in Romans chapter 7, he's going to give us direction on how to live in freedom and then live in victory over sin. And the way he begins to do this is to talk about the Holy Spirit. All right, that in chapter eight, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit 19 times in the first 27 verses. 
all right? He's mentioned the Holy Spirit up in this point in Romans like maybe two or three times. And now he's focusing. And the point that he is making is this, is that the Christian life is essentially life in the Spirit, which is really just to say that the Christian life is animated, sustained, directed, and empowered by the Holy Spirit for hope, for joy, and for victory over sin. So the question that we're, I'm going to propose to you and that we're asking is how do we have victory over sin in our lives? And this is what Paul is going to share In the first 11 verses, he's going to give us four things that the Holy Spirit gives us to allow us to have victory over sin. And this is the first thing that he says. If you're you're writing stuff down, you can write this down, that the Holy Spirit gives us a new freedom. Take a look back at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. In your Bible, circle, no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, I want you to circle that, in Christ Jesus, Because this is one of the most hopeful verses in the entire Bible. As I was thinking about it this week, this verse has probably brought me more peace and more joy than perhaps any other verse in the entire Bible. Because what Paul is saying is this, guys, is that we don't have to go on with our lives in bondage to sin any longer. And we don't have to worry about condemnation because we're liberated. We're set free that Jesus has done it. Look what he says in verse 2. For the law... And I want you to underline this next part. Of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And guys, here is what Paul is saying. All right? The word law is, is translated well here as, as the word principle. All right? That before Jesus, that we are all under the old principle of sin. But then here, that that has been transcended by the principle of the spirit of life. All right, and the old principle of sin works something like this into relationship with the law. Okay, the law basically did two things. The law revealed our sin, but then it also activated our sin. And so you can think of it like this, okay? If you take a can of Coke, right, and you shake it up, it kind of activates the carbonation, I think that's right, right? It just activates the carbonation in that. This is what the law does in our life. All right, that the law reveals to us that we are broken, The law shows us that we can't fulfill it. We can't be perfect. It activates our sin because we see it now. And we understand that there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect, but there's actually something wrong with us. And and this is what the law does. It shows us this. And we understand rightly that because we're not perfect, there's actually condemnation which leads to death. Now, guys, if I would stop there, that's a lot of bad news but there's always good news when it comes to Jesus, all right? Because this new principle does just the opposite. It frees us. It liberates us to a life with, with no condemnation. But since the Holy Spirit has liberated us, no condemnation can overtake us. And when he says no condemnation, guys, those two words are given to tell us our position as Christians. That to not be condemned, it's, it's a legal term, right? It means to be free from any debt or penalty, So if you're a person that is in Christ, that you've put your faith in Jesus, you're not under any condemnation from God. And here is what this practically means, okay? That God has nothing against you, right? He finds no fault in you. He finds nothing to punish you for. That the sin that is in your life, past, present, and future, which leads to condemnation through faith in Jesus, he wipes that all clean. And we, it's not that we've just moved out of condemnation for a little while, but if we really mess up again, we can kind of come back underneath condemnation again. It's not like that. Paul is saying that condemnation does, no longer exists for you, period. 
and I need to spend a little bit of time on this because it's really important for us to understand, okay? Many people, especially like those of you who maybe you grew up in a, in a really religious church, a really works-based church that was just based upon like penance and confession and all that stuff, many people will rightly believe and, and wrongly believe at the same time that those who confess sin and live a good life they're forgiven and they're not condemned, but the minute that they mess up again, that they somehow fall underneath condemnation again. And you live in this constant tension of like, oh my gosh, I sinned again, I gotta, I gotta repent and I gotta confess or I'm gonna be condemned. And so some people will even think that if I, a Christian, finds that freedom, there's no condemnation, and then they sin again, and then they die in that state, then they're eternally lost. Some of you have, have been taught that. Some of you wrongly believe that. This is not what Paul is saying because if that was true, Christians would be people that are just constantly moving back and forth in and out of condemnation. Guys, and this just doesn't square with what Paul is saying here. In, his, in this intensity of his statement, Paul quite literally says that condemnation no longer exists for us, that there's only acceptance, there's only welcome. Guys, and this is like the great gospel news that when we understand it, when you actually experience this, this brings worship, wonder, awe, and praise. It changes everything. It's the best news that we could ever hear, guys, that there's no condemnation. Understand that. None. And I think that's something that every single one of us has in common is that we want that. We all want that. That's, I mean, one of the reasons probably why you're here today is because you're looking for that and you're thinking, well, maybe if I go to church, this is how I get right with God and, and I don't have any condemnation. You might not word it like that, but this is something that we're all seeking. And Paul says, it's yours. No condemnation. Now, here's the thing. I, this is ultimately really, really good news. But we need to understand that it's only good news for a certain type of person. If you look back, what does Paul say? Paul says it's for those who are in Christ. And so we have to understand this, okay? This is really important, so important that, that Paul uses this ex expression throughout the New Testament around 216 times. He's trying to tell us something about what it means to be in Christ. And so the question that we have to ask is what does that actually mean to be in Christ? Because this is like the linchpin, this is what holds it all together, to be in Christ. And the best and easiest way to understand this, guys, is, I believe, to look at the identity of Jesus. And it's so interesting to me that I think that pop, pop culture and, and athletics, Jesus' identity is mentioned a lot. All right, if you, if you think about it, you're watching like an athletic contest, right? And someone, the guy makes like a winning shot and wins the game and it's crazy and then they, they get interviewed after the game and the reporter comes up and says, oh, man, how did you do that? That was amazing. And what, so many times the guy says, the athlete goes, you know, first and foremost, I just want to thank my Lord and Jesus, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, but yeah, that was sweet. I'm awesome. And then they go on for like 10 minutes about how great they are, right? You, you've seen this. Guys, this is something that helps us to understand what it means to be in Christ. It teaches us essentially two things. And I want you to look at Luke chapter 2, because it teaches us that Jesus is, in fact, Lord and Savior. And in Luke 2, at the birth of Jesus, we see this, the pronouncement of Jesus' birth. It says, for today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And what this shows us, guys, is that Jesus is, in fact, many different things. But he's specifically two things. He's Savior and he's Lord. And so if we use Paul's wording here, to be in Christ, 
literally means that we have made Jesus our Savior and our Lord. And so being such a big thing, we need to look at this, all right? Those two words, when we talk about Savior, guys, this word literally points us to someone who delivers us or saves us from something. And while we can talk about the list of things that Jesus saves us from, the thing that Paul is, is most concerned about as he shares this gospel doctrine throughout Romans is the fact that Jesus saves us from the effects of sin. This is his big point. And this is honestly what every page of your Bible is about. This is the storyline of the Bible that we were created to be like this with God in a perfect relationship with him. This is what it was in the beginning. There was nothing but worship and love. And then sin came into the world. And sin is just anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says. And the very nature of sin is that sin separates us. It separates us from God and it separates us from people. And we feel this separation. We feel this tension between people. That's why there's conflict. We feel this tension in this separation with God. That's why we're longing and searching for something. And it might not seem like a big deal in the, the here and now, but if this goes on forever throughout our lives, unmediated, this is where we get into eternal separation, which is just the conscious, terrible reality of hell. But in the midst of that separation, God does something. He pursues us. And he comes into human history as the man Jesus, and he dies for our sin in our place. And on the cross, through faith, he takes that sin that separates us and gives us his righteousness, bringing us back to God. This is Jesus saves. He saves us from the effects of sin. But he doesn't just, he's not just Savior, he's Lord, right? And when we talk about Jesus being Lord, guys, we're, we're saying that, that he's our owner, all right, that he's our master, he's, he's the one that we follow, he's the one that you listen to, he's the one that you serve, that to be in Christ literally means that you're all in, that above anything and everyone else, he is the one that you love and you serve. You live for him above your job, you live for him above your friends and your status and your money, that he is the one that your life revolves around, he's the one that sits on the throne of your hearts. And this is the thing that is really difficult for us, to make Jesus Lord. But I need to pause, we're, we're one verse in to chapter eight. And I need to pause and I need to ask you like a really introspective question because for Paul, as he writes much of the New Testament, it all hinges on this. I need to ask you, are you in Christ? Is Jesus your savior and your Lord? Have you come to Jesus in faith? Those are the questions that you need to be answering. And if you're thinking, yes, I've put my faith in Jesus, I'm in Christ. Guys, you need to thank him now and just remind yourself of the joy that you have of having no condemnation. That is your reality, that God sees you and you're perfect. You're clean. He sees you and he sees Jesus. But if you're not, guys, quite honestly, you just need to know that you are still under condemnation. And I'm like scared for you because I love you because Jesus loves you. You're like, how do you love me? You don't even know... I love you because Jesus loves you. I love the things that Jesus loves, and he loves you. But you need to know that you don't have salvation if you are not in Christ. And I want you to know, guys, this is the reality of why our church even exists, to tell you the truth that you don't have to stay there. You don't. That Jesus can be your victory today. And here's how this happens. Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. 
By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So how does this happen? How do you find victory? Maybe you're sitting there, you're asking this question. Guys, Paul says it's not by you doing anything, but by letting God do it for you. It's not about you working harder. It's not about you trying better. It's not about you being a better person. It's not about you becoming more religious. It's not about you getting baptized and starting to give your money and just start tithing. It's none of that. Because we're never gonna be able to be good enough. He says our flesh is weak. Guys, we've tried. You try to be perfect. You try to be great. You can't do it. You're always falling. Just like Paul in Romans 7. And the good news of what Paul is saying is that God knows this. And he doesn't just know this, and he doesn't look at you as pathetic and hateful. Like, he looks at you and he says, I know that about you, and I love you. And so he steps in, and he does it all for you. And the only thing that we're to do is to trust in the one who does everything for us, and the Bible calls that faith. Guys, and the result is freedom. It's freedom from sin, and it's victory over sin. And guys, I need you to know that the thing that Jesus lives for the purpose of his entire life is to do two things. Number one, it's to f- give us freedom from condemnation which sin brings in our life. But number two, is it's to make us holy, all right? And holiness is simply just Christ-likeness, all right? And Christ-likeness, as Paul puts it here, is fulfilling the righteousness of the law. Look at what he says in verse four, look back. He says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Because it's important to note that the end goal that God had in view when sending Jesus was not just our justification and pronouncing no condemnation, but it was also for our holiness, through our obedience to the commandments of the law. And so what we need to understand is this, is that the moral law that God has given us is not abolished for us. It's, it's to be fulfilled in us. And while following the law doesn't bring about salvation and justification, it's the fruit of it. It's the very meaning of sanctification and holiness of becoming like Jesus. And what Paul is saying is that we cannot do this apart from the Holy Spirit, meaning we can't do this apart from faith. We need God to step in and do it for us. And so all that being said, we can sum up what Paul is saying here by putting it like this. That God, out of his great love for us, he gives us freedom from the condemnation that the law brings. And he's empowered us by the Holy Spirit to actually live it and obey it and fulfill the law in our lives. Because then that means that there can be victory over sin. That freedom is possible if we're in Christ He says in 2 Corinthians 3.17 that the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That he frees us from the condemnation, but he frees us from sin to actually fulfill the law and be like Jesus. Look at the second thing that the spirit gives us. The Holy Spirit gives us a new mindset. All right, verse five, take a look. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. I want you to circle death in your Bible. But to set the mind on the spirit, and circle this next part, is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
And really what he's saying, guys, is, is categorically speaking, there's really only two types of people in this world. All right, there's people who are in the flesh and people who are in the spirit. All right, if we, if we put it another way using Paul's words here, that there's people who are in Christ and there's people who are not in Christ. And he says that the people who are in Christ, they're, they're characterized by life and peace and no condemnation. But we see, as he talks about those who are not in Christ, they're characterized by three radically different things. He says death, hostility to God, and an inability to do anything about it. And here is why this is so important, guys. Paul is, is really just saying that our mindset makes all the difference in the world, in how we live and in our eternity. And as Paul talks about these mindsets of, of people here, he's talking about just our overall orientation, all right, our bent, our, our spiritual pattern in our lives, which just reveals our true nature. And he says that those who, who are in the flesh they care nothing about God. He says that they don't care about following God. They don't love God. Their preoccupation is with the flesh. It's, it's, it's self-indulgence. It's narcissism. It's, it's egotism. And I don't say that to like be condemning. You guys, if you guys know me, like I'm the first one to say how broken I am. I spent the first 23 years of my life in the flesh. Not caring a thing about God. Not caring a thing about anybody. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I lived for the moment. I wanted to satisfy my desires and whatever I saw that I wanted, I went after. I took advantage of people. Right? I was dishonest to get what I wanted. I indulged in any behavior and sin that could just give me the best feeling and the best high that I could ever feel. And that could just be random sex, that could be pornography, that could be drugs. This is who Rob Warren was. You just need to know that. And some of you, you don't know me like that. You're like, I can't even picture you like that. My wife didn't know me before then. Well, what happened? Jesus came in and kind of just power washed my soul. And I crossed from death to life. And the Holy Spirit, guys, gave me a new mindset where I suddenly, I actually desired God. I wanted to know him. I wanted to follow Jesus. I started loving the things that God loves. I started hating the things that God hates. I was still sinning for sure. I still have sin in my life today, but the Holy Spirit gave me a new pattern of life, a new way of thinking, a new way of living, and it changed everything about me. And maybe you've met people like this, right? You know people like this in your life. You've known them for years as one way, right? And all of a sudden they have this like radical encounter with God, right? And they, and they go from being one way to being, you know, you might just look at them and be like, they're totally wacko. Right? They're just totally changed. What happened? They did some type of weird drug and now they, they're just weird, right? And what we can see is just a crazy change in their life. It's actually not a crazy change, it's just a Holy Spirit change. And it seems crazy to us today because our world is just crazy with things that are not of God. But this is what the Holy Spirit does. He comes in and he changes our mindset and makes us totally different. And because he does this, guys, we can find victory over sin because we're not preoccupied with the things of the flesh anymore. We're preoccupied with the things of the spirit. And we get what the pastor theologian Jonathan Edwards calls holy affections, that we actually start desiring the things of God. So let me get practical. How does this help us fight sin? How does this help us find victory? And it's this, guys. The Holy Spirit has given us a new mindset. That's a fact. Now, here's our part, and I want you to write this down. 
We need to feed it. The fact is, he's given us a new mindset. We need to feed it. And I think this is why Paul writes what he does in Philippians chapter 4. Take a look at this. It'll be on the screen. Paul is, is talking to these Christians in the church in Philippi, and he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. As Paul says, cultivate and feed the mindset that the Spirit has given you. And as you do this, guys, God will be with you, and he will give you freedom to overcome sin. And so I'll say this, guys, if you're sitting there and you're just tired of that Romans 7 life, struggling with sin, failing because of sin, if you're like, I want freedom from that, here's what you need to do. Stop trying not to sin and start feeding your mind and the spirit. So many of us, we, we, we want to not sin, right? And so you, you focus, man, I don't want to look at porn today. I don't want to look at porn today. I don't want to get whatever, whatever the thing is. I don't want to do this. And you focus on not doing that thing. You're filling your mind with the things that you don't want to do. Paul says, fill your mind with the things that are good and godly. And so if you don't want to sin, don't think about sin. Think about Jesus. Fill your mind with the things of God. How do you do that? Guys, you're holding it in your hand, the Bible. We talk about wanting to be a Bible-saturated family. That if you prick us, we bleed Bible. Guys, and this isn't just like some pithy little saying that sounds cool and it looks good on a website and we can put it on a sticker on the wall, right? This is actually like for freedom. This is for life, that we fill our think minds with the things of God and we start seeing how good he is and it helps us to fight sin. So the Spirit gives us a new freedom, a new mindset, and number three, the Holy Spirit gives us a new sense of life. Verse nine, you, however... I want you to circle that. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Paul says, you, as if you are in Christ, you belong to God. And so he's talking to you, Christians here at Doxa this morning. You, you have the Holy Spirit of life. You have the Holy Spirit of God. That's a thing that's a universal truth for every Christian. You have the Spirit of life living in you. I want you to notice, he calls the Holy Spirit the, the Spirit of Christ here. All right, and these, these terms are actually, they're, they're interchangeable, but they show us something so beautiful and so good. And his emphasis here is that if we're God's kids through faith, that we really just have the disposition of Jesus that we have his grace, we have his love, we have his approach to life. And I want you to hear this, guys. We have his thriving, eternal life. It's ours. This is good news. And he expounds this thought. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And what he simply says with all those words, guys, is that you get a new sense of life and eternity when we come to Jesus and we receive the Holy Spirit. All right, that when we say yes to Jesus and we become righteous in his sight, that there's no condemnation, the Holy Spirit makes us spiritually alive, that we have a body, 
that is gradually decaying will one day die, but we have the Spirit who's bringing life to us. And it makes me think, if you've read the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, where God is creating, right? He creates the pinnacle of his creation, mankind. And then what does he do? It says that he breathes life into the nostrils and brings about life. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He breathes life. And I remember this for the first time that it happened to me. I remember the night that I became a Christian. A night that I got out of, it was literally, it fits here with freedom, because I got out of jail and I realized my life was just totally jacked up. And Jesus came in and breathed life. I went from bars to experiencing freedom, and everything seemed different. You guys have, have you seen those, like, those videos, those viral videos on social media of, like, the colorblind people that get those glasses that makes them see color? Do you see those? They're really kind of cool. These people that are colorblind, they have these special glasses that I don't know how, what, how they work or whatever, but they, they put them on, and all of a sudden, they've never seen color before in their life, and now they see color, and they're amazed. They start crying. They don't know what's going on. They see everything differently. This was my experience. Everything was more beautiful when God breathed life. I saw the world different. Even to this day, guys, I, I, I find myself constantly just overwhelmed with, with joy and thankfulness, right? And it just causes me to like tear up. Some of you have experienced this with me. You sit down with me and we're having lunch or something and we're talking about just life and you see me tearing up and you're like, what the heck? You're really emotional and sensitive. I'm not emotional, Okay. <laughs> I'm not. I'm sensitive. Definitely not emotional. But this is what God does. He gives us a new sense of life that it just does something in us, that we realize what we have in Christ, and everything changes. And since we know that we have this life, it's not just a life now, but it's a life later, that even though death physically is coming, that we know that we have eternal life to look forward to. And because we have eternal life where everything is going to be perfect and there's going to be no more suffering, no more sin, we can look to that day with hope and joy of being with Jesus and look how beautiful that day is and the stuff that we, we find ourselves struggling with and drawn towards that's just sin that just kills us. It doesn't look so good anymore. And we can fight sin with that beauty. The author of Hebrews chapter 12 says this. He says that, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that clings so closely and let us fix our eyes towards Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because we can find freedom. We can find victory. We can find life. Because as we're looking at the perfection of Jesus and the life that he gives us, guys, all those temptations don't even seem as powerful anymore because we have Jesus in our sights. This is how we fight sin. And finally, I'll wrap up with this. Number four, the Holy Spirit gives us, and I love this, the Holy Spirit gives us a new power. Look again back to, to verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Guys, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Did you hear that? This is like if we were a more Pentecostal church, this is where the flags would be coming out and people would be jumping around, right? We just kind of sit there and we're like, oh yeah. Guys, this is awesome, right? I mean, if we actually got this, like the, literally the flags and the screaming and the amens, they would all seem legit. You're like, yeah, that's pretty much, right? This is true. 
This is amazing that the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of power lives in us. Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the Holy Spirit is a Spirit of power. He's powerful. And guys, here's the truth about your life and living in victory over sin is that the Holy Spirit empowers you to be who you cannot be, to do what you cannot do by a power that you do not possess. That the Holy Spirit empowers us and gives us the ability to live transformed lives free from sin. And yes, the Holy Spirit is there to comfort you when you fail, but he's also there before you fail, to change your heart, to change your mind, to change your desires, to reorient your life, to make you a different person that the Holy Spirit is in you, the Holy Spirit is with you, the Holy Spirit is for you, and because the Holy Spirit is with you, you don't have to say yes to sin, you can say yes to Jesus. You don't have to say yes to condemnation and shame and guilt and all this stuff and ask questions, man, is there any hope for me? The answer is yes, because the Holy Spirit is empowering you to live like Jesus. And so the Christian life, when we understand this, is not just something that we live for God, it's something that God lives for you, through you by his spirit. This is the truth of the power that you have as a Christian. That the spirit of God is living in you. He's giving you life and he's allowing you to live that life that he gives. And so practically, for us, how do we tap into that power? How do we tap into that experience of this life that he's laying out? And I'll address the two types of people that Paul addresses. Right? He says that there's the people that are in the flesh, people of the spirit. The first, if you are not in Christ and you want this, you want this idea of no condemnation to be true for you. You want this sense of new life. You want this new mindset where you actually desire the things of God. You want this power to live for and like and with God. You need to come to Jesus today. That's it. I believe in the sovereignty of God. You're not just here because there was a cool movie night that didn't work and you're like, oh, I'm gonna go to a church that set up a movie screen and didn't work, right? You're not, no, you're not here for that. You're here because God in his sovereignty and his love has brought you here to break into your life, to show you something of yourself and something of himself. And he's saying, I love you. There doesn't have to be condemnation. There is no more condemnation if you're in me. Come to Jesus and all of this is true. For those of you who are in Christ, put your faith in Jesus, he's your Lord, he's your savior, and you're just, you're going through life in this struggle. You have this, this constant battle with sin in your life. Here's what you need to do. Here's what I need to do. Guys, we need to die. You're new, you're like, oh my gosh, is this where you're going to bring out the Kool-Aid? Like, what are we going to, right? <laughs> no. But you need to die. And here's what I mean, guys, is that death precedes life. And the whole paradox of the Christian life is that no one is truly alive until they've mastered the art of dying. Paul, later on in Romans chapter 12, he's going to say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And for us, we, we don't think about sacrifice, right? And, but in those days, these people would have understood the picture that would have come to their mind was an altar where they would put animals up on the altar and they would sacrifice and they would kill them to atone for the 
the sins of people and to please God. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I am that sacrifice. There's no more killing animals. You don't need to do that. I am that final sacrifice for all people. Now, it's your turn. You climb up on the altar and you die. You die to your sin. You die to your perversion. You die to your self-centeredness, your egotism. You die to everything that's not of God. And so the only thing that's left is just righteousness. It's Christ in you. This is what he's saying. And so I'll ask you this, guys. And I'll ask you to write it down. Guys, is what is it in you that needs to die? You probably don't have to think too hard about that. What is the thing in you that's keeping you from God that just needs to die? What's the sin in your life that is dragging you away from God, that's dragging you around on a leash? What's the lie that you're believing that keeps you from flourishing as the man or woman that God has created you to be? What's the idolatry of your heart? Is it your success? Is it your money? Is it your, what is it? There's something in all of our lives that needs to die so that we can step into this beautiful new reality of freedom, of victory, of life. Guys, this is what you were created to do and this needs to be the ongoing rhythm of our lives. So I'm gonna have the band come up and here's what we're gonna do, okay? We don't do this all that often but I'm gonna have, give you guys some, some time. All right, you've heard from me. My job is literally just to open up the Bible and say what it says. Your job is to now hear it and figure out what to do with it. And so with that question of what needs to die, I just want to give you some time just to sit there and talk to Jesus. Write that thing down and just ask him, God, this addiction is killing me. Ask him to take it. Ask him to show you how to have the power to overcome that. God, this lie that I'm believing, take it from me. It's keeping me from being the woman you want me to be. Whatever it is, go before him now and just do some work and just pray. And I want you to name that thing, all right? Don't like, be, be courageous enough to step into it and name it. God knows it. You're not hiding it. Get real with the ugliness of the thing that needs to die. So do that. I'm going to pray, and I'll leave you guys to sit and do that. God, thank you that there is freedom, that there's life, that you love us, that you've done everything for us. God, I also know that there's things in our lives that keep us from being the men and the women that you've created us to be, that keep us from feeling and experiencing the life that you want us to have. And so as Paul talks about crawling up on the altar, and being a living sacrifice, just come before you. And my prayer is Psalm 139. You would just reveal to us what is it in us that's keeping us from you. Show us that now.